Good morning. We are glad you are here. You were able to join us in any way possible on Easter Sunday. We are celebrating today. What a glorious celebration. In fact, it's not only the celebration of our Lord and Savior being, being brought to life from the grave. It's actually our celebration. We are in Christ, a new creation. So we all today celebrate that we're not dead, that we are alive in him, and in fact, eternally life. And we have eternal life. We'll never face death. Turn in your Bibles to Luke 23. We're going to read the passage right before the resurrection because before the party, there's always difficulty. Before the sunrise, there's night. We have a celebration because of difficulty, because of the difficulties of life, and we're going to look at those so we will learn how to celebrate correctly. This is Luke 23 50. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewed out of a rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near, or the preparation for Passover, 55. And the the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. They rested and waited. They rested and obeyed God in this most difficult of circumstances. In a heart filled with grief, they obeyed the commandment of God. In a heart of total uncertainty about what the future holds, they obeyed the command of God to rest because it was Passover time. It was time for the blood to be put on the doorpost like we find in Exodus. It was time for them to prepare unleavened bread to be in the house and wait symbolically for the salvation of God. This is the picture here. Let's study this today and let's understand the resurrection in a greater way. We have to go to the very last scenes of the cross to understand this. The crowd is dispersing. Jesus has breathed his last. The almost in shock Mary, the mother of our Lord, is being helped away by John to go to his house so he can take care of her. Clearly, John and Mary and all those that were there to see Christ crucified, are exhausted in every sense of the word. They have nothing left to give. But in comes a man named Joseph from Arimathea, seemingly out of the blue. But God plans and orchestrates. Nothing is out of the blue. Let me set this up. Joseph of Arimathea was from a Jewish town, and he was in the Sanhedrin, which means he was one of the top Jewish leaders at the time of Jesus' trial. 
which means most likely he was at the trial of Christ because it said he was not consenting to it. He had a different opinion, but the mob, and I'm talking about the midnight trial, not before Pilate, the midnight trial, he, his decision clearly didn't outweigh because God had a plan. But even in the, the hateful, spitting, hitting of Jesus in, in that temple, in the Sanhedrin with the high priest and all of those people who hated him, there was Joseph of Arimathea with a very different heart, a very different uh, desire for Christ. So we find him here in our story, not consenting to the decision or their deed. He would have been educated. He would have been a powerful person. He would have been a wealthy person. And we know this because he had his own tomb hewed out of a rock, a new one, someone that, that had never laid in it, and it was close to Golgotha. Golgotha. It was close to where Jesus was buried. That's very significant. It has to be because Jesus is crucified, breathes his last about six in the evening. The sun is beginning to set. And once the sun sets, marks the Passover and the Sabbath. No work can be done. So this is a rushed, hurried funeral that no one hardly gets to attend. So we understand the picture a little bit better. Let's look at this. Verse 50 and 51 say, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had integrity. He was honest and had not consented to their decision. Now we need to know what book we're in. This is the book of Luke. Luke was written mostly for Gentiles. It wasn't written, for, written primarily for Jews. It was written by a Gentile, Luke. That's why we have so much of Jesus' birth in there, because they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't grow up in a Jewish home. They didn't know the scripture. So the entirety of Jesus' life is found in Luke, because we need to understand that when Luke gets to this part of the story, because he interviewed Mary, and it says, now behold, there was a man. He's saying, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe that even though in the mock trial at midnight, that even though everyone was consenting to his death, that they brought in false witnesses, that they lied, that they hated him, that they spit on him, even in the worst of circumstances, I had put someone in there who had a heart for me. I put someone in that chamber, even though Peter said, I'll never leave you, or I'll never deny you, he's outside denying him. I have Joseph inside there who has a heart for you, who has a heart for God, who's not consenting to this. And the moment he can help, the moment that it's time for his destiny to step forward in time to take care of the body of Jesus, he's there. Christians and everyone watching, I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter how horrible the situation looks. It doesn't matter what you see around you. God has someone who loves you. He has prepared a heart for someone who loves you. Not only a Christian on this planet, but he loves you eternally. I'll tell you about God's source and God's supply. Number one, God's supply can come from any source. Even a silent Pharisee, Joseph of Arimathea, a of the Sanhedrin, who loved Jesus, 
who thought he was the Messiah because the Bible says he was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was waiting and looking for the Messiah. He had spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. He wasn't deaf and blind like a lot of the religious leaders. And God had prepared him for a special vessel so that he could have the great honor of taking care of the physical body that had just breathed its last and died for the sin of the world. What a beautiful picture that is. Now, why does that matter? Not only that God, his source can come from anywhere. Do not think that you lack any supply. Jesus, seemingly by himself, seemingly alone, the few exhausted women, his mother and, jo- and, and John at the, at the crucifixion are gone. Who is going to take down the body of Jesus? This is why it's a big deal. Normally, in the Roman culture, because these were criminals, right? These people that were crucified, which was the worst of all tortures, and it was only reserved for the worst of the worst. These people that were crucified were left to hang there as an example. The Roman government would say, no one else better break the law. And often what would happen is animals or birds would just rip their flesh to pieces. It was a horrible, grotesque sight. Now, sometimes the, fr- the family or friends would go to the Roman government and plead for the body. Sometimes they would grant it, which is what happens in this story right here. Now, why is it such a big deal that Joseph is an instrument and a, and a, and a, a person who has been planned by God to take care of the body of Jesus? Because Joseph will fulfill Scripture that has been waiting to be fulfilled for a thousand years. A thousand years. And we find that scripture in Psalm 1610. Not only do we find it in Psalm 1610, this messianic prophecy that says your whole, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption, but the first time the new church is birthed in Acts chapter 227, and Peter is proclaiming to thousands about what the resurrection is and how you're going to be saved and their salvation coming through Jesus, he quotes it, and then Paul again is going to quote it in Acts 13, 35-38. It's going to be on your screen. I want to read, read this to you. This is Acts chapter 13, 35. Therefore, he also said in another psalm, this is the third time we find this in the Bible, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Why why does all this matter so much? This is why. So there are several phrases used to talk about a group of Christians, our church, and the specific one is called the blank of Christ. You know what it is? The body of Christ. You see, God would not let his son's physical body see corruption. It was immediately taken from the cross. It was poured over with 75 pounds of perfume, according to John, because Nicodemus was there too. It was wrapped in the finest cloth and laid in a brand new grave. He wouldn't even let the physical body of Jesus see corruption. Nor will he let us, his body, see corruption. 
around you for the last several weeks, you've seen a lot of corruption. We all have. But I want to encourage you that the church of God, the people of God, will not see corruption. Not in their mental state. You ask the Lord and He will cause your mind not to see corruption through this difficulty. In the physical state, in the spiritual state, maybe you don't have a job right now. Lord, you need to stand on the promises of God that says, Lord, you are not going to allow me to see corruption. Just like you didn't allow the body of Jesus to see corruption. We are the body of Christ. And if God had prepared and planned Joseph and Nicodemus to take care of the physical body of Christ, his physical needs for burial, do you think that God will take care of every single one of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? He is not a man that he should lie. So I want to encourage you in that. Behold, look at this man, Joseph. God had raised him up even in in seemingly a difficult situation. The body of Jesus would not see corruption. Now look in verse 52. Look what kind of man he was. It gives us the kind of person God has called us to be. Verse 52 says, This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I would, not be, I would be very reluctant to go to the man who just signed the death order of Jesus. I wouldn't want to do that. One, I would be, it would be a fearful thing. Secondly, I would be so angry with, with Pilate because Pilate knew he wasn't fooled. He knew Jesus was innocent. He proclaimed it himself. So Pilate's not a man can be trusted. Pilate's not any kind of a just judge. You see, in our culture, what we want to do and say is, Joseph, get your men together with Nicodemus. You got power. You got authority. Get your swords ready and storm the cross and take it. But Joseph didn't do that. Joseph, in humility, and a man who sought peace, even with an enemy, a wicked enemy, goes to the enemy in humility and says, can I have the body of Jesus? I want you all to remember something that's so important. Anytime we're in a high-stress situation, this is a high-stress situation. We have all been in it not for a few days. Now it's weeks and weeks. Anytime you are in a high-stress situation, you need to remember this, number two. God's people pursue peace. God's people pursue peace. If Joseph is our example, how can we do anything different than what he did? This was blessed by God because he was a man of peace, because he pursued peace. Even with his enemies. Let me show you what Hebrews 12, 14 says. Pursue peace with who? All people, even Pilate. And holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Our holiness comes from Jesus, and we are to pursue peace with all people. I know it's been difficult at your homes. I've been on Facebook a little bit. 
I've uh, got a big family, and I understand that peace is much harder to find and come by in this situation we've been in the last several weeks. This is why God wants to do a deep work in us. This is why God wants to cultivate and do a work in you, in your life, with your family, so that you will be a person who quickly and firstly says, you know what? I'm going to pursue peace. That's actually a commandment in the Bible in several scriptures, that we are supposed to be pursuing peace. So he pursues peace. God blesses the peacemakers. If you're not pursuing peace, God can't bless it. For blessed are the peacemakers. They are the ones that inherit the earth. And he was so honored to inherit the physical body of our Lord. So now we come to the funeral of Jesus. Yes, I said that right. We don't think about the funeral of Jesus. We think about the crucifixion. We think about the resurrection. But we must think about the funeral of Jesus because it's right here in the Bible. So what's going on in this funeral? There's only a few people there. His closest friends and family are not. Joseph of of Arimathea is there, the man in our story. Nicodemus is there, John tells us that. And surely they're servants. Nicodemus comes with 75 pounds of oil to an, and fragrances to anoint him. One man probably wasn't carrying that. So there's just a few people who quickly take his body down. The grave was close by, it says. And that's why they used it. Because remember, they only have a couple hours. Maybe less. Because once the sun sets, it's Passover. It's Sabbath time. And everyone must stop working or they break the commandment. So quickly they wrap his body in the fragrant cloth. Quickly they put him in the tomb, but there's some other people there too. They're close enough to know where he was laid and how he was laid. These are the women who had been with him from the beginning. The women that came with him from his hometown of sorts, where his ministry headquarters was, Galilee. They were the administrators. They were the cooks. They were the ones who were never, rarely talked about and hardly ever seen. But oh, how they ministered to the Lord. And when Peter is not there and John is busy taking care of Mary, they're there at the funeral with red eyes from crying, observing the funeral of Jesus. That's what verse 55 tells us. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. I want to tell you something you already know, but you need to be, we all need to be reminded of it. Because we think something's wrong when we experience great pain or disappointment, especially when it's elongated, when it lasts more than a day or two. And this is lasting more than a day or two. And it may last longer. We don't know. I want you to remember number three. We will all experience days of disappointment, even despair. 
There are days of disappointment for Joseph of Arimathea, for Nicodemus, the secret disciple who came by night, and there are great days of disappointment, even despair for those closest to Jesus who had been with him from the beginning. But don't worry. As you know, the story doesn't end there. And I feel like I trivialize it some when I say story because this is the greatest truth, greatest reality, the greatest thing that's ever happened on this planet. You know, I was thinking about the days of disappointment and despair, and I'm not on Facebook too much, but I have to be on it some. And I was flipping through this week, uh, I'm sorry, a couple of weeks ago, and there was a friend of mine who was a, a great leader when I was in school. He was actually uh, the, the dean of men where I went to school. He was such a solid man of God, and he was the first New Yorker <laughs> that I ever met that I really respected and loved. Talked with a strong New York accent. He said, one, two, three. But he was a man of integrity. He was a man of humility. Just a wonderful Christian man. And I was flipping through Facebook a couple weeks ago, and I read his post. And this corona has never really affected me. I don't know anyone personally that has died. And I read at the end of March that his father went to be with Jesus in just a matter of a couple days because of the virus. Well, he lives over a thousand miles away. He couldn't go to the funeral. He couldn't bury his dad. No wake, no goodbye. No hug to console his mother or other family members. This is the picture that we see here in Luke. This is the times of disappointment and even despair. A few days ago, I looked him up again to read what he would say. Like I said, he was such a solid man of God. Filled with hope and confidence, he actually was more worried about others. Preaching about Jesus, talking about his faithfulness, even in his own despair. He's a Joseph kind of a man. He's a Joseph kind of a man. Let's end this with our last verse. Verse 56. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandment. That's very significant. They rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandment. There are no unnecessary details in the Bible. Why is that in there? Why does Luke tell us that they attended the funeral? They had two hours most probably before sunset. They had to hurry and get home. They had to prepare the spices for his body, which would never be used. And then they had to rest according to the commandment. You see, God's people for thousands of years from when we read in Exodus, when the first bondage happened in Egypt, had to obey the commandment of God. Get in your house, cover the doorpost with blood, get everything out that's unclean, all the leaven, and you're going to sit there totally helpless in and of yourself. You will sit there until my salvation comes. And all these women 
with tear-stained faces, had a decision to make. I will rest in the salvation of God, or I will rest in despair and hopelessness, because that's what's around me. So they close up their doors with their family, prepare the Passover meal, and sit in silence. Mary Magdalene rose early in the morning, probably around one or two after the earthquake. She couldn't sleep anyways. Sunday was still a few hours before dawn, but she began to get up, get ready to go to the tomb. She did everything she could do to wait on the salvation of God. But see, God was already ahead of her. Because God is the pursuer. God is the one who brings his own sacrifice. God is the one who just says, Obey and sit and wait and you will see my salvation. Because the next time we see the words in red, it says, I was the one who was dead but is alive forevermore. Don't you remember that I had to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise again? And they rested in the old covenant that night until the new covenant was completed. Let me ask you a question. Where does your rest come from? The people of God had been resting in his covenant for thousands of years until his salvation. That's faith. That's trusting in God. Mary Magdalene and a few others named rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Where does your rest come from? Because if it doesn't come from God, you don't have any. I want to encourage you this Easter to ask yourself one more question. He's risen. That's fact. Are you as alive as he is? Because he said that he makes you alive if he's in you. So then you would have his rest. I want to read one more scripture as we close in Romans 9. This is Romans 9.33. It's quoted many times in the Bible. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him, this one who was crucified on a sinner's cross, the one who was mocked, the one who was betrayed, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. This is where we have absolute assurance of rest absolute assurance of life. There should be no shame in your life if you're in Christ. There should be rest in your life if you're in Him. So that's my question to you. Where does your rest come from? Do you have the rest that comes from the salvation of God? You know, these ladies would have entered that house frail, exhausted, and tired. Joseph and Nicodemus would have completed their work and run home to also observe the Sabbath. 
with stains on their hands. What stains were on their hands? His blood splattered on their clothes as they quickly took him down. They couldn't avoid it. They had touched him. They had handled him. They had wrapped him. Surely his blood was on them. And as they entered that house to celebrate the Passover and to eat that lamb, his blood was on them. And no more did they need the blood of lambs and goats, for the blood of Jesus had touched them. And all who come to him, they would have said something like this. No turning back, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. So now we come to your life, all of our lives. Are you going to be Joseph? Are you going to be the ladies? you're going to obey the commandment of the Lord to trust in his salvation for your life you are powerless to save yourself the Bible says we are dead in our sins and trespasses you have no power to save yourself there is no good works that can save you there is no person that can say you're saved except for the person of Jesus Christ have you bended your knee have you come under the covenant of Jesus which is his blood on you this is salvation. This is resurrection. You're alive today like Jesus is or you are dead in your own sins. I plead with you by the mercies of God to bring your life to Jesus. It may be your last and only chance. Have you given your life to him, the one who loved you and paid for it? If not, right now, Right now is the day of salvation. Right now, you bend your knee. No more rebellion. No more sin. No more my own way. No more secret living. Joseph came boldly. Come to him right now. Pray this simple prayer. Forgive me of my sins, God. Forgive me from running from you. Forgive me, God, for denying your lordship in my life. Forgive me for thinking that I can do it myself. I submit to your way of salvation. I submit to your blood. I submit to your cross. And I would ask, Lord, that you would make this person who is dead right now alive by the Spirit of God as I cry out to you right now. I thank you that encounter is happening right now for everyone who's crying out to Jesus. Encounter from the living God. I thank you that people are being brought to death from death to life 
in you just like Jesus rose again. We seal it now in Jesus' name, in the precious, wonderful, saving name of Jesus. And everyone said amen and amen and amen. Continue spending time with your Savior today. God bless you. We love you. Have a wonderful Easter Sunday.